0: Welcome to 1001 Books, the podcast where we read the 1001 books the experts say we're supposed to read before we die and decide if they're really worth your time. I'm Nicole, a lover of historical fiction and Harry Potter. I'm Chelsea. I am always down for a good book that's going to make me cry. All right. This is our ninth episode, and we read a book called Hadrian the Seventh from The List. But before we get into that, let's talk about what else we've been reading.
1: So I lately have been reading Dear Fahrenheit 451, Love and Heartbreak in the Stacks by Annie Spence, and it is just a novel or a book of short letters to books that a librarian has that's written. That's so
0: cute.
1: It pretty much is like book lover porn. Like I was just going to say, that's exactly what I was about to say. <laughs> uh, I'm really loving it. It's just a little easy, digestible. Each letter is like a page long. Uh, and she just is so funny and puts in so many literary references that I enjoy catching.
0: That's so So good. it's
1: really great. What have you been reading lately?
0: Um, I the most book I re- finished most recently was great, and it was called Radium Girls by uh, Kate Moore. And this I read. I got this book out of the library because I read an article uh, by this person on. Like some like bloggy website mm-hmm. before this book was published, like pr- pr- promote it, and I kind of forgot about it. But it's a it's a nonfiction, and it's about in the world war like the world war one in the 20s and 30s radium was like being discovered and people thought that radioactivity was something that was healthy for you and then they one of the things they did with it is that they made you could use it to make watch faces glow in the dark and so all these women were hired to paint the like tiny little numbers on watches and there was no safety protocols and they were basically just told oh it's going to be good for you to be around this it's going to make your like cheeks rosy and uh and then they were also told they were doing it with paintbrushes in order to get the fine fine tip to put it in their mouth to get a a point like four or or five times every watch right to get the tiny tip and and so then of course like all these women um started dying right and and years later because it took like a long time Mm -hmm. and at the time radium wasn't considered an industrial poisoning that you could get compensation for like that that the company was like at fault and so the book is about what happened to them in their court fight and how The cases that they won in different places in the country basically created the, like, safety laws we have at work now and, like, during the Manhattan Project in World War II, like, that they wouldn't have thought about safety with radioactivity if it wasn't for these women. But they, most of them, like, really, really suffered, you know, but we didn't, like – and the thing is, is that technically we already knew that radium was dangerous – since like 1901 we just but just it was basically just about like corporations are evil and you can never trust that they, they're just going to be good for the sake of it they're only going to be good if they're held to account uh it was really good um i definitely recommend it i loved it um and i was it's gonna
1: actually on my two br list yeah so <laughs> i might get to it soon
0: i was gonna bring up off podcast we were talking about how since we started reading these podcast books how it's affected our other reading and i've definitely read more nonfiction and more like books of essays which I normally I think I've read four books of essays in the last couple of months and I probably can't even remember the last time I read one before that and so it because it's like oh I can read like that's like I can keep it separate from these books which are a little bit more intense and require more more concentration to read which is so funny because at least you're still like educating yourself whereas I've totally went
1: oh all YA and all like Easy, easy adult lit. <laughs> nothing hard, nothing that I'll have to think about. Yeah.
0: It's, it's just because it's also, because it's happened simultaneously where I'm like, I want to read more books by women. I yeah. want to read more books by people of color. And then I end up reading more nonfiction as I'm like looking at lists of like what are great books in those categories you know a lot of times they're nonfiction and then they are really intense and hard to read but in a different way than the classics that we're yeah, reading on they're the not list. gonna be yeah.
1: like this book which speaking of this book the full details of this book is that Hadrian the Seventh was written and published in 1904 and it was written by Frederick William Rolfe but he went by the name of Frederick Baron Corvo and so You can see it on different publishings both ways. How the uh, publishers chose to name him, which one came first on mine. It was Frederick Baron Corvo first.
0: Yeah. Uh, Mine said FR period Rolf. Which apparently he would do that because he would he wanted yes. people to think he was a priest and so he would shorten it and then the Baron was because he also wanted people to think that he was like a noble. Yeah. So he's very eccentric guy. Mm-hmm. And when we get into talking about this book,
1: his real life is gonna bleed into the conversation mm-hmm. a lot because he he did a lot, not to do spoilers, he did a lot that was kind of his work mirrored his life or mirrored what he wanted his life to be, really. Right. This. Yeah.
0: So we'll get more into about the author because it kind of as we talk about the plot I feel like it kind of goes together but if you had to describe this book in one word what would your word be
1: well my word definitely was that glass full of wine that I was just (laughs) drinking but my word for this story is wish fulfillment and this book definitely just felt like this author's wish fulfillment for his life okay yes
0: Um, my word is irreverent because I think that this, I was surprised how funny I found this book, because it was so irreverent, Mm -hmm. like it was very dry, the humor was really dry, but I thought it was hilarious, Uh, and it's not what I was expecting, so.
1: All right, so um, Nicole's going to give you the quick plot for this novel, so that
0: we can do our official spoiler alert. Okay, so to describe this novel in one sentence, we decided the sentence would be, the least likely Catholic ever, Becomes the Pope and wreaks havoc on Catholicism. Yes. And so from here
1: on out, we are going to start having some spoilers. If you look in the episode notes, you will see the time when you can jump back in if you want to avoid said spoilers. And our final segment today should be pretty funny. So I would encourage you to do that, even if you don't want to hear the spoilers.
0: Yes. So, okay. So this book is about a guy who all his lot. he's English, right? This is an English author, and, and it's semi-autobiographical. And he always, always wanted to be a priest, and he tried to be. But, and that's about where the semi-autobiographicalness ends. <laughs> right. But And where the wish fulfillment starts. Yes. But the Catholic Church would, not just like the author in real life, the Catholic Church would never allow him to become a priest because they didn't believe that he had a true vocation. And then the Pope dies. And he has all – and then, like, someone comes to him, one of the cardinals, and decides, like, no, we do think you have vocation and and makes him a priest. Mm -hmm. And then he ends up being elected the pope uh, because they are, like, that, like, they have – everyone's in disagreement about who should be the pope. And so it ends up being this weird random person, and now he's the pope, and everyone, I think, expects him to be easily led and and controllable, but actually he starts enacting – some, like, intense, crazy reforms that shock people.
1: Like, he gets rid of a lot of the, like, frivolous, like, things, like, very uh, earthly things that the Pope right. has. Like, the fancy jewels, the fancy right. ho- housing, all that stuff. He's like, yeah. no, he sells off all of the Catholic
0: treasures in order to pay for social reform. Right. He he agrees that the ca- the Pope... Isn't an earthly monarch does not have any claim to land, um, which is something that they were standing by at that time. Right. Uh Um, And then so he's enacting his reforms. He's promoting people that, you know, are unknown sort of to high positions in the Catholic Church. uh, And the whole time. Uh, he's like, he's taking very deliberate steps, like he knows exactly what needs to be done as Pope with confidence, but in his internal monologue is, he's full of self doubt that mm-hmm. he truly as a human being knows how to love and that his actions are coming from a place of love and has he ever been loved and has he ever loved anyone and he's not sure, right? So it's like that's his internal life and then he's doing this stuff externally and then towards the end of the book um, the all the great European powers are, there's lots and lots of building tension, which we know eventually leads to World War One. but the came out in 1904 the author doesn't know that but obviously the tension was beginning yeah. to build um and then the pope creates like reworks the entire political system and basically recreates the roman empire and like puts like the king of germany over this area and the king of england here and the you know and the and like,
1: somehow they all agree to it and they all agree to, to it yeah these fabulous ways of like manhandling and massaging them to where he wants them to be
0: right and so then suddenly it's like oh great the like now our tension is resolved and we're not going to go to war eventually uh and and that's basically and then at the end of the book he gets assassinated and that's it and that's the book so it's it's i find it super interesting it led me
1: oh and though too at the end of the book he gets assassinated after it seemed like he was telling, uh, he had, like, he had an affinity, kind of, for young, like, wanderless, wandering kind of boys. He had, like, taken some of them to do stuff, and it seemed like he was trying to give... The ability to make color photographs, like he had invented that. Yeah, he that. had secretly invented it. It was, it was only, like, two lines. It was but weird. Not it's a huge
0: plot point, but also another uh, layer of weirdness. It was yes. another layer
1: of, like, wish fulfillment. Like, he yeah. couldn't just handle being the... The Pope. The Pope. He also <laughs> had to have invented color photographs. Yes, and he also...
0: <laughs> the Pope is also, like, he's extremely pro-English. Over and over again, the books he talks about mm-hmm. the English are the most rational race on Earth and that every kingdom should... Model themselves on England and on their aristocracy, and so it's totally um, like the author pretending to be a baron, pretending yes. to be a noble. Uh, so that's the plot. I it did lead me down some Wikipedia rabbit trails because Ooh, I was yay. like, I was like, what did the Pope do in the build up to World War One? Who was Pope then for real? I don't know who was Pope. Who was? I don't remember. <laughs> I looked <laughs> it up, but basically, the someone became Pope at the same time that he like someone the pope really did die at the moment in this book that he's talking about and the new pope was pope through basically right at the end of world war one and then he died and he he didn't really seem like he was involved at all in trying he was never invited to try to resolve the situation like it happens in the book but during the war he did he expended like huge amounts of money like almost like cleared out Mm
1: -hmm. all the money
0: the catholic church had in relief efforts so he did really did good things he wasn't like a terrible terrible pope. he was he seemed like he was good um so that was nice to hear because i had remember hearing before that like the pope who was pope during world war ii was not great
1: <laughs> uh, and again yeah. oh another thing that reared its head that's not really going to be a talking point because i don't think it's very like super vital to this novel was socialism yeah again. Again, yet
0: again socialism and communism i think the thing is is that in the tw- beginning of the 20th century people it was like we could have gone any we could have gone democracy socialism mm-hmm. communism fascism any one of them could have won out and people really didn't know what was going to win and people strongly believed in each of those camps yeah. that now it seems like a given that what won but it really wasn't it to- really wasn't yeah every time yeah. it comes
1: up in, in a book i'm just again the socialist or the communist like i just it's just
0: yeah i've learned more about socialism from this podcast from reading these books than any other thing in my life like any other area any other education that was just a
1: mild plot point in the story um it was a part of again his wish fulfillment that even the socialists wanted him on their side yeah was kind of what was happening uh so it's not really like super vital but i just thought it was so intriguing that it was again there
0: yeah yeah So, okay, so what do you think of his solution to resolve the tension in Europe that's going to lead to war?
1: I'm not going to lie, he had me in this story until then, and I was like, are you kidding?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it doesn't feel realistic that that could happen in the political system. I thought it was interesting because it was, like, he's so Mm European-centric that, and it's just, I mean, it's 1904, right? But it just felt like, oh, yeah, yeah. Five white guys in Europe can decide the faith of the whole world. And that's fine. It's a good thing. Like, it's just like, ugh, that's so gross, you know? Yeah. Um, but I'm not surprised. I mean, this is an old book written by a European. But I was just kind of like, well, oh, like, yeah, I'm not. I feel like other people, like, other people have a say. And, in fact, after World War One, at the Treaty of Versailles, a lot of leaders from other parts of the world were there mm-hmm. and were denied, like, the ability to become independent like in Vietnam like Ho Chi Minh was there and then guess what happened years and years more of war right and and that horrible devastation for lots and lots of people and so I was just like oh yep here's another closed-minded white guy writing a book we have to read well (laughs) and I just
1: (laughs) thought it was so interesting too because it was a. he the way he divided everything up to it was like all the european had a lot of like a lot of divisions and then it was like an america in the case of america will be everything from the north to cape horn
0: yeah just like whatever the like and they talked about the monroe doctrine which Uh was like the american policy that no one else would interfere just so we could like take down governments in south america whenever we wanted which is what we did and terribly you know that led to horrible things
1: It was just, yeah, it was very interesting. (laughs) And I, that's where the book, so he became the Pope and he did a lot of those like social things. And I was kind of like, I kind
0: of like him, even though this is a weird book. Honestly, a lot of the reforms are really things that the reasons that Protestantism, Uh Protestantism. protestantism Protestantism. exists right like because like oh we don't want to pay for indulgences to Mm -hmm. get our souls to heaven like that's something that why the church split right and he changes that and he changes that you have to pay for your pew Yeah, like he changes that and it's like oh yeah he's basically making the catholic church more protestant
1: yeah and he uses the money for so like social gains for poor people yeah and like I, all of that was with me, and then I got to the point where like his solution to the World War One tensions building, yeah. and I was just like this is this is convenient, and then I got to the plot point where he invented color printing, and I was like, "This is convenient, and then he died. <laughs> Well, <laughs> the thing like, is, you had me until page 312.
0: <gasps> the thing is, is that it really represents how arrogant this, because we, I, so in this book, I read the introduction. And I did it Crazy. Just, <laughs> I think in the last episode, I went on a whole rant about how I never read the introduction. But when we picked up this book, I was like, I feel like this book is going to be confusing and hard. And so I read, and the introduction was short. So I read it. But from that, I learned that the author died, like, in horrible poverty because his books weren't, pop- like, that popular during his lifetime. Mm-hmm. And... He never, none of his other schemes, you know, he didn't become a priest or whatever. He wasn't actually a baron. Like, he didn't make any money. And... But his character, that's basically him, who's the Pope, comes into, like, this huge, powerful position with such confidence. Like, I don't, it takes a weird personality to feel like, oh, yeah, if I was suddenly in charge of the world, I would know exactly what to do. I would have no doubt. And everyone would agree with me. Like, that's a really weird person who thinks that they can do that, you know?
1: Yeah. And (laughs) he, that's exactly what he did in the story. It Mm. was, like, from the moment he was Pope, he didn't even blink. Oh, we're going to let you be a priest? Just kidding. We're your pope now. Yeah. it was it, In the book, it was
0: like two pages later. It was so quick.
1: In fact, I reread the section where he became pope because I was confused what was happening. <laughs> and I knew he became pope in this. St- like, I knew that was the story just from reading the back. But it literally was someone came to see him, told him he was going to be a priest. He was going to give his first mass. Yeah. And in the course of giving his first mass, he was giving it to all of the important priests and was pope. I, I was
0: just... Yeah, and a lot of times in the book he like, here's my letter to America. Here's my letter to England. Here's my letter to Germany. And he's just like, like, yep, I know exactly what everyone in this country needs to hear. Yep. Confidently down. Boom, here it is. And published for the whole world to see, you know. One
1: thing that I thought was interesting too is that he thought he thought he was smart enough to solve the world's problems, both the author and the character.
0: Yeah.
1: And yet, the the character Hadrian was obsessed with the slights that had been done with him, too. Oh, yeah. So he was doing these great social
0: changes, but he was also, like, super petty yeah, about very small minded, very small Yeah, very small-minded. Very small-minded. And he, kind of in the beginning, you hear his long rant about all the wrongs that were done with him that prevented him from being a priest mm-hmm. previous to the narrative of the book starting. And and it comes up frequently throughout the book, that he's and he just never can let it go. And it's just, you would think, as a Christian— Forgiveness that like he would yeah. like, and as the Pope, oh my gosh, he's like supposed to be the best one, the best Christian that there is. Um, that like that's a huge part of the doctrine, right? And so it's uh telling that he just that's when I'm like, oh, this author was just like, I'm writing this book, yeah, to like sh- put shit on a bunch of people and get like pick my statement and say how I could have done it better, right? Which is what, which is why I found this book so funny. It was very dry, it was dense book, it wasn't a fast read. But just the fact that this author was like, I'm going to write this book just to be fuck you to everyone that I've ever, ever wronged me in a very like thin veil over who it uh-huh. really is. I think it's so funny. It's so funny.
1: I didn't pick up on the funny, but I have less of a drinking humor than you do. But I did like it. Yeah. Like I would read it and I'd be like, oh, you used all the money in the church. To give Italy money so they could support their peoples. And then on the next page, you're going to write a nasty gram to someone who did you wrong. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I just love that you can be. I love that I, this character was really complex. I love that he could be so complicated, do such good things, internally also be terrible at the same time. I just, I lo- I just loved it. This is the only book we read for the podcast where reading the back, I was like, oh, this is going to mm-hmm. be hard. And then I liked it. Yeah. Like, and I enjoyed reading it. It's, uh, that's the only time that's happened.
1: <laughs> I I didn't enjoy the process of reading this book, though, because it is a hard, hard book to read. It was dense with yeah. vocabulary words, so I probably have about 20 tabs in my book of words that I couldn't even figure out from context clues.
0: Yeah, there were so many that I stopped looking them up because I was like, nah, it's fine, I kind of get the gist. <laughs> yeah, and so... yeah.
1: I didn't enjoy
0: the process
1: of reading this book,
0: but then I would like
1: sit down after I had read a couple chapters and I'd be like, that was interesting. But while I was reading it, I'd be like,
0: oh, God. Yeah. Bef- uh, previous to the podcast starting, we both talked about how we read like books that are more of essays. Kind of like, okay, I'm going to read two chapters in Hadrian and I'm going to read two essays in yeah. this other book as a palate cleanser because it, w- it just took a lot of concentration to read and it. And it took
1: a long time too. I normally read about a page a minute. Like when I'm reading, if it's a normal advertised book and the copy I have is an advertised book and it took me two minutes a page. Like it took me twice as long as my normal reading speed to read this book because it was so dense.
0: Yeah. I found that since I finished it, I've been talking about with people and I've been recommending it like to certain people who Uh I know this is like their kind of thing. Yeah. Um, but I feel like I have to give a disclaimer. Like, it's kind of dense, though. Like, yeah. it, you know, you, you're really going to have to concentrate to get something out of it. Uh, yeah. But I still think it's worth it, you know? And I mean, just a few people who are would be into this kind of story, you know? The other thing about the character is that there were some moments where he was reflecting internally, like, you know, he'd go and he'd be sitting alone a lot. It was all in the first person, uh-huh. right? A lot of, like, him, like, long, long talk, internal talks about if he truly as, truly knew how to love, and mm-hmm. if even though he was doing things to help the poor, if that was really what love was, or if anyone had ever really loved him. And I found it, like, fundamentally relatable for all human beings yeah. that we all ha- sometimes have those feelings, or those underlying feelings are a big part of many, so- many situations in life, you know, and that, like, they're kind of big questions that we all have to answer throughout life, and their answer might change, you mm-hmm. know? And so it was crazy that he could be so big and like sometimes terrible you know Mm -hmm. and but I was still just like oh like and so he's like kind of unrealistic character you know but then in other moments I was like oh man like I think that's like a fundamental truth that he's examining as a human being you know which I I didn't expect in the narrative
1: yeah I also I thought it was interesting too uh there were very few quotable sections of this book but there were two quotes that I really, really enjoyed, oh, and okay. I really liked. And one of them, um, and a before I say this, it's really hard to get settled into the way this book is written because once he becomes pope, he speaks in the royal like we right. about well, himself. Yeah, so he's talking about himself in this quote, but he's using the term we because he's now pope. Yeah, so we mean that we have learned much of what is done, but very wi- little of the details of the doing. Yeah, which I thought was so interesting, especially given that the character just is like. I got this. Do it, doing it, doing Do it, it, doing it. it. Yeah, I'm, I'm good. Yeah. And so I thought that that was a really interesting quote, and That's I really That's the thing is that, it. like,
0: underneath it, I think he's insecure that he's doing the right things, even though he's making decisive decisions. That's yes. what's so real about it. And then yeah. this
1: one, too, that he used to explain his actions and to explain why um, things were happening the way they were happening, was she, he said, nothing but a tragedy will break a habit of centuries. And I think that that is... An amazing quote, and wow, if you look really good. at like the that. history of like things that have happened, like it's true, hundred percent stuck yeah. in what they are before until there's a tragedy. And I thought that that was particularly interesting because then a hundred la- pages later he's killed, yeah. And I'm like, it made me wonder what happens in this world after this pope, right, dies, right. Um, I thought that that was really interesting.
0: Yeah, I really like that. That's, yeah, that's super, that's like true on a micro level yeah. in your individual life, and it's true on a macro level. Yeah,
1: it was so interesting.
0: I really like that. Um, can we talk for a minute about how women are, tr- in, are written in this book? Because there's only one. Uh, there's two, there's two. There's t- there's oh, the his like housekeeper yeah. Or whatever. Yeah, but she's, that's a very small part.
1: Yeah, but I, it's interesting because they're treated very differently.
0: They're treated, yeah, there's, there's very stereotypically kind of the saint uh-huh. woman who's like his housekeeper who after he's pope, she tries to do right by her. Yep. And then there's a woman who's always been in love with him and then once in the past enticed him into bed. Mm-hmm. You know, but he even though he wasn't a priest was living as a priest. Yeah. And uh, and then she goes to Rome. To, uh with someone, a socialist who's trying to like get him on their side and eventually is the guy who shoots him. Yeah. Um that's like a huge plot point, but to me it was it felt background because the story to me was more about his yeah, internal It was life. a huge plot
1: point, but it yeah. never came to the Yeah surface. Yeah. I mean, it matters because he's the one that shot him in the end. Yeah. But the woman too, that woman, it was so interesting. She was portrayed solely as like lust and obsession yeah like that was her character
0: so her yeah so she came to rome with the socialists as like hey i can tell the story about how the pope almost like slept with me or whatever Mm -hmm. and i can and but but her motivation was just to be near this man that she's loved obsessively and and he's and yeah and her she's only obsession and lust that's her entire Mm -hmm. she doesn't grow at all she just stays that um and so, as if you were doing this, like, a feminist literary analysis, I would be like, this book is shit. It's terrible. And it terrible. fails the... Bechdel test, yeah. for sure. Uh, it absolutely does. And so, that, I didn't like that. And, it, and I get that, like, in the Catholic Church, all the leaders are men, right? Because that's what they require. But um, it felt like, well, obviously, this pope and the author have mm-hmm. a very narrow view of women and what women can be.
1: Well, if you're thinking, too, about this novel, none of the characters grew. All of the characters yeah. stayed exactly the same, which is interesting because the man, the author who wrote it, was so obsessed with like wanting to be this person yeah. that he didn't feel like the characters needed to change. Because they already
0: thought they were perfect because he'd worked it over yeah. and over in his mind. Because yeah. none of the...
1: like The socialist always hates him and hates him but wants him on his side and so when he can't get him on his side, he kills him. Like mm-hmm. He's that from the beginning. Yeah, and It's like hate and obsession. Yeah. And then the other woman is less an obsession. Yeah, And then the the other um, priest characters all have their caricature and they don't change
0: like yeah, none of the characters show any growth and even like the pope in the beginning there's a long rant about all the wrongs that have been done to him that we talked yeah. about and it's just like blocks of text and then and i read it that time and then like 10 pages before the end of the book there must be six pages where it's that exact same rant just no paragraph indentures yep. like just like Wrong long rant, six full pages that I didn't even read it because I was. It was just like I've heard this before. The like yes, you yes, me he's you still like it, crap. So I you know? read it to double check, yeah. and it
1: is basically the same rant.
0: Yeah, and so he doesn't grow at all. No, nope. uh, so I feel like that's really unusual because in novels, right, you have conflict mm-hmm. and then you grow. Like that's how the structure, yeah, of novels. And so this bypasses that for sure. One thing
1: that I also wanted to touch on in this book because this book was written in 1904. I think it's probably one of the first books to really critique the way a mass religion in the world was run. It's
0: possible. From yeah. a
1: Christian standpoint. So, like, obviously, other re- the others Christians of religion. Christians bad things about yeah. other religions. Yes. But, like, it was a Catholic critiquing Catholicism, Catholicism. Yeah. in a very much, like, our popes and our leaders are wrong kind of way. And I don't think that that was it's done. That's a pretty
0: modern like yeah. philosophy and like American, it's pretty American mm-hmm. that you can always say something bad about people in power. That's always allowed. I think that that's a uniquely yeah, I American I think that idea. in 1904,
1: this would have been <laughs> yeah. a unique thing to yeah. do.
0: Yeah. That's, yeah. I didn't even think about that, but you're totally, you're totally yeah. right that it might've been the first of its kind in that way. And I think, In general, like when religion is critiqued, it's usually Mm -hmm. only read by people inside that religion. Uh, It's like a religious book, but this is just a novel. And so I feel it probably was more widely read. And this also, because
1: it felt like a revenge, kind of in some instances, Mm -hmm. was intended for people to read. Yeah. And it was a fuck you. It was a fuck you,
0: the Catholic Church, for letting me be a priest. And I wanted to be, like, for doubting my calling. So I just think I thought that that was really
1: interesting as I was reading it. I was like, that is something that is unique about it. And plays into my decision about whether it should be on the list or not
0: yeah that's true we've always been counting that as reasons to be on the list but I'm just I'm gonna say overall this book totally surprised me it was not at all what I expected and I am shocked by how much I liked it this might be giving away my answer to why it should be on the list but this is probably my second favorite book that we've read and I wouldn't have thought that at all before I picked it up
1: I liked it more than the others. Some of
0: them. <laughs> some of them. Yeah. I'm harder middle, to middle middle of the pack. Middle of the pack. I feel like this is middle of the pack. Yeah. I think maybe part of the reason that like we have a difference is that I'm more religious than you in real yeah. life. And I think that made me find this more funny because yeah. because I'm re I have read or am reading or in church hearing
1: people talk about name. some
0: of these ideas and so uh So I think that made me more likely to find the humor in this because it's something that comes up more in my life. Some of this, some of it, you know.
1: And I also think, too, we touched on this in a a different podcast episode or the previous one, actually. Um, I was in a car accident in the fall and got a concussion. And I've noticed that my focus still shit (laughs) Um, since it when I'm trying to read something. I have to be in like a silent room now. Still, I can read, but I have to be in a quiet room. And since this book was so focus heavy, I think that it made it more work. Like maybe if I read it again in six months, I'm not going to. But if I read it again (laughs) in six months, I might like it more because it wouldn't feel like such work. Because I didn't, there's nothing wrong with this book. I didn't dislike this book. Yeah. Um, It just felt like work a lot of times to me. And I don't know how much of that was because it's hard for me to focus still.
0: Yeah, that's true. You can't can't help your brain still fixing itself
1: faulting this book that point <laughs> that's that's fair
0: that's fair uh any other closing thoughts about this
1: guy um oh just one this is not about the book at all it's just that i was excited because i've been ordering our books used most of them um when they're available from amazon and this one was read by it looks like a vi- it looks like old person handwriting like kind of shaky <laughs> um and very like classic uh, cursive, cursive yeah. Um, by a man named Alfred who completed Aww. reading it on September the 12th of 1990. So 27 Aww. years ago. He wrote
0: into it. That's such a cute yeah. idea to write into a book when you know, read it. I know. Why have I never thought I of should doing start
1: doing that. That's adorable.
0: <laughs> so especially
1: because I like finding things like that. I know. So yeah. I just, when I got this book, I was like, oh, I love that already. And <laughs> it just, it has his first name and his last yeah. name. And I almost Googled him just to see if he was still alive. But then I thought that'd make me sad and stalkery.
0: Yeah, and if he already was old and it was 27 years ago. I know. I like, I like weird. how I ignored the stalkery part. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but it's not, I like, it. Only, you'd only look it up one time. I feel oh, like yeah. it'd only be stalkery if you were like regularly checking. Hey, sir, I'm going to follow <laughs> you home. That's creepy. Um... That re- I, that reminds me. Side rant, separate from this, that's just about books. I feel like we should. Oh talk wait, about we should it.
1: end the spoilers so that okay. I know where to put my Q
0: in. Spoilers are over. Okay, spoilers are over. So side rant: I was having a conversation with our friend of the podcast, Amanda, about buying books because normally I don't buy very many books. I use the library because it get way too expensive. But I've been buying these ones for the podcast because we want to have all of them. We mm-hmm. talked about that before. Uh, and she and she was just like, "Why? Like, why? Like, I think." She, like she's like why hat like have to have them around you and i was trying to explain to her about why i want like they hold special memories of like mm-hmm. who i was when i read them or i want to be able to share them with others i want to be able to reread them if i'm in a certain mood yeah. and i want to get back to them and uh and and i don't even like i don't even own that many and i do purge them like when i'm purging my stuff i have gotten rid of books if i'm just like oh i'm n- never going to actually read that or i that's not meaningful to me anymore but it, it comes down to, like, a very specific collection of yeah. meaningful books. And it made me think of, I think I read a quote once about how when you read a book over and over and it gets fatter because you're turning the pages, that it's, like, pieces of your soul oh, inside the pages, you know, and, like, who you were when you hurt. read it and what it taught you. Yeah. Um, but anyways, what are your feelings about owning books?
1: Um. I went through a period where I purged a lot, but I've recently been feeling very attached to my books. Yeah. And I like... This sounds so cheesy, but you said this earlier too. I I like being surrounded by books. Yeah. Like I like having books around me. Yeah. I feel like if I'm gonna collect something, it's something of value. Yes. Uh, it's something mm-hmm. that I actually have gotten some enjoyment from. I feel like spending ten dollars on a book that takes me six hours to read is like a buck fifty an hour and that's worth it to me. Yeah. Uh and so I I do purge books. I, when I read children's books, I take them to my classroom or donate them to other teachers. But I also, I just like having books and I don't think that there's a problem with that. Yeah. And I actually, I have a Kindle and there were a couple of years where I was like very, very obsessed with my Kindle. I really liked it. I still like it for planes and things, but I've been really into having a
0: real oh,
1: yeah. book mm-hmm. lately um, in a way that I haven't been into in a
0: really long time,
1: which has meant I've bought a ton of books. I'm not allowed <laughs> to go into Barnes and Noble.
0: Well, at least buy them from a local bookstore, Chelsea.
1: Well, there's no local bookstore close to here.
0: Oh, that's true.
1: Um, So I'm not allowed to go into bookstores. I spend too much money, and then
0: <laughs> that does become I a get problem.
1: home, <laughs> and my boyfriend looks at me and says, really? Also... Did we issue a correction about our friend Amanda in the previous episode? Oh, we
0: did not. Um, After we recorded a few of these ahead before we were releasing them, and then once we released the first one, Amanda wanted to point out that when she did pick our first novel, The Midnight Examiner, but she picked it randomly. It was not because she wanted to saddle (laughs) us with a book that we ended up not enjoying. She picked it randomly by opening a book and, like, picking She's a page it. so not, it is not her fault at all that we did not enjoy that and that one was really weird
1: and it's not her fault that she chose a book about hookers and yeah. New York City that was yeah. not on her No,
0: <laughs> not at all so that's our disclaimer <laughs> Amanda
1: is a great friend of the podcast <laughs> it so. is not her fault we realized we were listening and she was listening to the first episode she was like it sounds like I wanted you to read that <laughs>
0: Yeah, which is not true. Which is not true. So, today's special oh, segment... We oh, we haven't said if oh. we think the book goes on the list.
1: Sorry, I was getting ahead of myself because I'm really excited for the special segment.
0: Okay, so, so do we think that Hadrian the Seventh is a book that everyone should read before they die? Are
1: we going to say a reason after? Of course, okay. yes. One, One two, two, three, yes. yes. I think that it belongs on the list because I like that it was a critique of religion from an insider. Mm-hmm, I yeah. also liked that while this man was so petty he also was I had a hard time relating to him but he was human like yeah so I I thought that this book was unique I've never read anything like it I mm-hmm. think that as wish fulfillment it was a really interesting read I think that it was an interesting look at Catholicism. Um, from someone who had been Catholicism a hundred years ago. Yeah, old, sorry, yes. not today. Mm. Yeah, I like Pope Francis. Um, <laughs> Catholicism from someone who had uh, been snubbed by it. I mm-hmm. thought it, I just thought it was really interesting. And so for that reason, I think it belongs on the list.
0: Yes, I agree with all those things. And I would add that I feel like this is a super interesting and unique character um, that weird. I think Real is weird worth, man. Like, worth <laughs> reading, you know? And um, and all yes all the things you said about religion and stuff and and that yeah i think this book is super unique and i had i had to vote on the list because it surprised me so much yes. by how much i liked it and so it has to be so i would recommend it though you know don't give yourself some time to read it it's a bit of it's yes. like it's a bit of a haul and yeah. maybe
1: if you haven't read a classic in a long long time don't start with this one
0: sure yeah
1: <laughs> that's not that's reasonable. I think with the
0: language this shouldn't be one you start with but i mean it's it's easier to read than something that's a translation.
1: Yeah, but if I was recommending a classic to someone, I'd be like *Pride and Prejudice* or yeah, but the, or like a historical yeah. classic, I would say like a,
0: um or like *The Count of Monte Cristo*. Yeah, yeah, because those ones that's read really easier easy. to
1: read. Yeah, is more true. what I was thinking.
0: You know, that actually reminds me. I was going to bring it up. I saw a thing on Pinterest, so I don't know if it's true. I think it was from Tumblr originally, about Uh, how Charles Dickens was paid by the word for his books when they were published like originally in magazines. And so that's why his books or his descriptions are so long. But the guy who wrote, Alexander Dumas, who wrote Count of Monte Cristo and the Three Musketeers, he was paid by the line, which is why his books are all dialogue. So they read, they sound really modern because they're all dialogue, but actually it was just because he was being paid by the line. And so sometimes... It's like that's this is cheese. Yes, it is cheese. What do you think it is? It's cheese. Like you know, like it's that's all, like that's why it's like that. I hope so that's actually true. Because it would explain why his style is so feels so modern when it, yeah. those books are equally as old as like Charles Dickens books. Huh yeah anyways fun fact that is possibly true <laughs> possibly maybe we're gonna pretend it is for this
1: moment in time
0: yes okay so yay the l- game yes so let's move into our next segment so as we said when we read this book we found so many words that we didn't know the definition of and couldn't even figure it out in the context of that paragraph which in a previous episode we talked about hoidenishness uh-huh. um which <laughs> which was thus far in the whole all the books you read the only word that we didn't know originally and couldn't figure out from context. Yes. And in this book, I bet there was a hundred words like that. Yep. So we both <laughs> have picked out a couple of words that we had marked that we didn't know, and we're going to have the other person guess what the definition is.
1: And we're not giving context because that seems funnier.
0: Yeah, and because I don't want to look up all these quotes in the book again, let's be honest. Yeah. So, okay, give me one of your words and I'll guess.
1: So, my first word is
0: tolutiloquent. Uh I'm gonna say like it sounds like eloquent, so like something to do with speaking tersely, because that starts with a T also. <laughs>
1: um speech was such a good guess. It's to speak fluently or glibly.
0: Oh, that's yeah, this is because of that SAT prep class we took <laughs> in high school about word yes, endings. This
1: is okay. Suffix prefixes and
0: suffixes. Okay, okay, this is one of mine. Uh flocculence. <laughs> Sounds like flatulence <laughs> um,
1: I think flocculence is a tendency to um, to like flip flop your meaning.
0: Um, not even close. Uh, <laughs> having a fluffy or woolly appearance. Oh, flocculence. Please. Like <laughs> yeah, like fleece, but with more syllables flocculence so you can be like that sheep is giving is like the fur from the earth i don't even know how you'd use it cuz it's a noun the fo- the flocculence of the sh- of that sweater is <laughs> is lovely <laughs> i guess oh okay. god that's great all right <laughs> porphyry porphyry um i'm going to feel like that sounds like porous so i'm going to say having holes in it <laughs> Well, it <laughs> might because it's a rock. Oh okay.
1: An Igneous <laughs> rock with quartz crystals. And I'm just gonna say that in the book where this was, it was describing something as being colorful. So I still And don't also
0: maybe this rock is colorful. Maybe. Some rocks have like are colorful ish. Yeah.
1: Porphyry, an igneous Porphyry. rock. Okay. It's also a famous his somebody from somewhere. But I didn't think. Great. That. <laughs> That's really helpful information. <laughs> <laughs> well, when I Googled it, it came up with some, a person, an ancient person. Okay. Uh, who had been a philosopher.
0: Okay. Okay. All right. Here's your next one. Amaranthine. Amaranthine. Amaranth is a plant. So a purple plant. Okay, so the definition is that it referred to that plant, so you're not far off. Okay, and originally was like kind of a noun to describe flowers. Uh huh. Um, but then it eventually came took on the meaning of anything possessing an undying quality. Oh. Which so in um, a court of Thorn and roses by Sarah J. Moss, the mm-hmm. villain is Amarantha, which and she felt like and part of it is that. She can't be defeated, right? So I think that's what she's referencing, th- this kind of thing, amaranthine. She was amaranthine. That
1: makes me, that's mind blown. <laughs> right?
0: <laughs> it's so cool. Like, Sarah J Moss, I knew she was a genius, but this is just that's an extra level. That's pretty awesome, actually. Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. Mm. Um, contort applications. Say that again? Contort
0: applications. Okay, so contort. Contort, like... Contouring, no, that's that's probably too modern. <laughs> um, like it's contorting cont- into weird shapes, plication, like multiplication. So I'm going to say um, f- group sex. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: Yes, this book about the Pope was just about orgies. There was no. weird stuff in there. Um, You were close with, like, twist, like, twisted. or okay. so, it But not
0: twisting your body. It's something <laughs> that's
1: braided lengthwise and twisted around like a morning glory stem.
0: Wow. I don't know what a morning glory stem so looks they're like. Whi-
1: they're, like, those white flowers, but they if you leave them, they'll twist like a vine, but it's very rope-like.
0: Well, so That's like a, a twisted- very specific word. Why is there a word for that? Uh,
1: well, an... In the, I think in the context of it was talking about something that was twisted up, but yeah. I'm like why wouldn't you just say
0: twisted? <laughs> wow, that if if you dropped that word in regular conversation, people would be like douche automatically. duplications. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean, Your guys. Your grade is
1: full of Yeah, ugh,
0: that that's gross. I hate that. <laughs> um, okay, vituperation.
1: So vituperation. Oh, that's because vite sounds like vital, and tuper is like a stupor.
0: So those are... <laughs> I love how the way we think English works right now is that words that sound alike always mean the same thing. <laughs> you, those prefixes and suffixes and only work if it's like the Latin root, not just another English word, but, but it's I working. Think, it's think working. I think
1: vite is the Latin root for life. I think vit and vite have like... I mean, that doesn't
0: sound right to me, yes. By tuperation.
1: being full of life. That's not even the right for the right kind of word that, that is. <laughs> um
0: bitter and abusive language, vituperation. He speaks only in vituperations. Vituperation. Bitter and abusive language. Yeah. I would
1: like my word to be the last word when you're going to understand why in a minute, so can you do Oh, yours? my last
0: one is good too. Okay. Um cope Okay, so, so your word is caprol, Ooh, wow. This is hard to say. caprol, cap, cap- <laughs> sorry guys we've got a lot of syllables copernicus um coprolalian coprolalian
1: coprolalian co together
0: okay that's not bad yeah
1: <laughs> <Cal-lalian>. <laughs>
0: take a guess <laughs> Two. Prowl together. <laughs> so, the de- so I when I looked up this word, it like changed the spelling because uh-huh. this author also had a tendency to just like make up words, kind of. Yes. Um. But the definition was the involuntary uttering of obscene words, huh. which that's a great word. Coperalian. Coperalian. I'm really
1: coperalian. sorry, ma'am and sir, that I cursed at your first grader. I had a coperalian tendency. Yeah, I'm sorry. Oh.
0: I can't help it. It's a, it's sometimes I have a coperalian moment. I had a coperalian tendency when they
1: slammed the door on my foot.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You can't help it. It's involuntary. Oh so I think you could use that one in day-to-day conversation. <laughs> oh gosh, okay, okay, okay You're gonna you.
1: die when you hear this definition.
0: Okay. Hmm. Sesquipedalian. Sesquip Sesquipedalian. Mm-hmm. Sesquipedalian. Wow, I don't know, makes me think of the ocean, but I'm not like sure why. Yeah, yeah, maybe that's what it is. It, it makes me think of like, <gasps> what, Cessapod or whatever like an octopus is called, you know, like a creature that has multiple legs. Cessapod is not the right word, it, it has, has more right. syllables <laughs> than that, but it, that's what makes me think of like an octopus. Um, I don't know why, that's a weird, weird association, so I'm going to say of or having eight legs.
1: <laughs> Cessquipedalian means polysyllabic or long
0: wow so a long ass (laughs) word you mean other long ass words great
1: (laughs) (laughs) I just i died when I looked up the definition I was like could you have chosen a more sesquipedalian word to be
0: sesquipedalian like yeah (laughs) the word that you that means that should be short (laughs) long wow (laughs) wow okay well those are great lessons (gasps) try to throw those in in your daily conversation to sound like smart are also annoying <laughs> you know you
1: could try and speak in sesquipedalian text
0: i have been trying to use hoydenishness from <laughs> pierre and jean so
1: i think all of the that one is more useful than any of these
0: yeah i mean i feel like we could use flocculence or vituperation i
1: already forgot what well flocculence. i forgot fluffy. oh she fluffy fluffy yeah <laughs> um and then bitter, vituperation is bitter and, is bitter and abusive. abusive
0: language yeah obscene language basically
1: Oh, what, wait, what was the one that said you have a an inability to not say it? What? That <laughs> like you have to say that thing. Involuntary uttering of yeah. words?
0: Corporal uh, Corporal
1: I have a Corporal um, tendency to vituperate with sesquipedalian words. And I've
0: seen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let's oh. before we go, let's draw our book for next week. Dun, da, da, da. Okay, the book for next week. Oh my gosh, it's a book that I've we've heard of. Yeah, Around the World in Eighty Days by I Jules even know Verne. the Author before
1: you Jules Verne. I know.
0: Okay. Do you have a history with this book?
1: No, I've actually never read a Jules Verne book. I mm-hmm. know that he also wrote Center of the Earth one, right? During Journey Journey the, the Center Earth, of the Earth. Yes, I haven't read so that. He writes adventure novels. I think in the 1800s, late 1800s, I actually
0: have a story with this book, so I've never read it either. But um, the first year out of college, I lived in Cambodia for a year. And when it was time to fly back home to the U.S., I went to like the one bookstore that sold English language books. And to buy a book to read on the planes, I had everything I did brought you have with a me Kindle I had read. At that point? No, I don't know if Kendall's even existed. It was like 2011. Oh, how did
1: you survive that year? Well, the
0: office of the NGO I was working at had tons and tons of books that okay. different foreigners had brought and left behind, but I couldn't take any of those books with me back to the US. So Got I had it. to buy okay. a book. So I bought Around the World in 80 Days because I thought, oh, the irony, I'm going around the world, you know? um to read on the plane and because it was cheap as old book right in English but I never read it on the plane because I was exhausted right it's like 40 it, right? hours of travel to get back and so I never read it and then it was on my bookshelf for years like after that and I never read it and probably I'm gonna go with eight months ago I gave it away to Goodwill and so now I'm gonna have to buy it again <laughs> for this thing so <laughs> So annoying, no. but I'm sorry, but I've never read it. The only, I read Jules Verne, um, I read 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea in sixth grade for like a, you have to read so many books outside of class book. I remember liking it as a sixth grader. I don't remember anything about it, okay. I remember it, it's just, it being an adventure novel and it kind it feel they felt like, um, like a serial, something that would have been published like in a periodical okay. or like something that at that time. Like, because I feel like his books, like now today, like that's the age group that reads them, like mm-hmm. middle school readers. But I think when they were published, they were for adults. Interesting. Um, but well, now because of their subject matter, they're kind of for children. I'm
1: excited to read it. and also trying not to sneeze, so I'm letting let Nicole tell you where to find us.
0: <laughs> okay, so thanks for listening today. If you want to get in touch with us, you can reach us at 1001bookspodcast at gmail.com, or you can check us out on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at 1001bookspod. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Yes,
1: we are very very excited because as of recording this episode so by
0: the time you hear it'll
1: be way more than this but we almost have 100 listens so crazy we're pretty stoked about that I
0: think some of them are people we don't know very exciting Um,
1: yeah we have a few people who follow us who don't know us
0: the best yeah yeah we're gonna keep plugging away because we're enjoying ourselves no matter what (laughs) and we got 50 more years to go yeah pretty much so we'll see you next week bye happy reading